Welcome back to Word 2 Literary. With the precision of a surgeon and the enthusiasm of kids in a candy store, we're dissecting one of Tom Cruise's wildest rides. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kenny. Today, we're suiting up for a deep dive into the time-twisting, alien-battling world of Edge of Tomorrow. Picture this. Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, a relentless alien force, and a time loop that makes deja vu seem like child's play. All we're missing is Bill Murray. Ooh, a cameo would have been fantastic. The story kicks off with Major William Cage, played by Cruz, who's more of a talker than a fighter, and likes to dab on a little bit of blackmail. Suddenly, he's dropped into a do-or-die battle against an alien race called the Mimics, and here's the kicker. With a well-placed claymore, he dies. Oh wait, there's more! Right, instead of the great beyond, Cage wakes up at the beginning of the same day getting kicked by a drill sergeant calling him a maggot. It's like Groundhog Day if Puxatani Phil had tentacles and a taste for human blood. Enter Sergeant Rita Vratsky. Was that how he pronounced her name? Vratsky, I think. I'm, I'm probably butchering it. The, the Angel of Verdun, played by Emily Blunt. She's the poster child for kicking alien ass, and somehow she knows what's happening in Cage. Together, they form an unlikely alliance. Through trial and error and a lot of dying, they start piecing together how to beat the Mimics. It's a bit like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, except every wrong turn results in death and resets the whole day. What's fascinating here is how Cage transforms from a PR guy who can't hold a gun to a battle-hardened warrior. It's a journey filled with humor, heartache, and a fair share of oops-I-died-again moments. And let's not forget the visuals. The battles are a spectacle, and the exosuits are really badass. It's, it's an adrenaline-pumping, time-looping, alien-slaying extravaganza. Those were real, by the way, and weighed something like 100 pounds, give or take. Right? Yeah, Blunt said in an interview that putting on the exosuit, she actually, like, for the first time, she started crying because it was so heavy, and she really didn't think that she could perform action scenes in it for five months, which was, I guess, the the length of the shoot. But then I guess Tom came along to her and was like, yeah, why don't you stop being a pussy? And she was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess. And I don't know, the, she accepted the criticism well, and it, it encouraged her to power through, so wild stuff. Yeah, I feel like from anybody else, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. But when Cruz does it, you're just like, all right, fine. And it's not the first time I've heard of him doing that either. He's very encouraging to his co-stars. That's that's something that I, I know he's been well known for. Agreed. I, I've read a, a number of stories about that. Like, it's not like he's a dick and he wasn't being cruel when he said it. It was meant to, like, bolster her and be like, let's just get the shit done. Exactly. So anyways, grab your popcorn, reset your watches, and join us as we explore Edge of Tomorrow. It's a story about resilience, the bonds forged in battle, and the endless quest to get things just right. Because in the world of We're Too Literary, even a time loop can't stop us from digging into what makes a movie tick. Let's jump into the fray again and again and again and again until we uncover every hidden gem and every explosive detail. We'll do it up to 26 times if we have to. Which is 300. Mm, we'll start with 26. We'll see how far we go. You know, <laughs> sure. It's the number of times we see crews die on screen. But there's definitely implications that there are far more deaths than that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of looping back to the to the same point and not really like what I really enjoyed about this movie. And we'll we'll get into the synopsis here in a moment. Of course, as always, spoilers ahead. but. When we get into 
the flow of all of the time loops that occur in in the movie i found this one to be extremely fascinating and well done because of the fact that i didn't feel overwhelmed by watching the same thing over and over again it was like okay i'm not getting bored with this they're actually handling the transitions in a fashion that i'm pretty happy with honestly agreed i think we saw enough of the like slow progression forward after each death where he gets to new points but we weren't watching the same thing again and again for him to get to that point like he'd die and then we cut back to that same moment in time on the next loop where he's trying it differently for him to die and then do it again but differently as he just moves forward it was very entertaining i thought it was well done yeah definitely the the scene transitions felt good because like you said they picked up rather than from the same exact point every single time like they they did it the first few times to really settle in the fact that this is what's happening the day is resetting and we're getting a start a do-over but then eventually it started to transition to the point of where every time they reset instead of starting it from that same point they would move it to the point of where he makes the first divergence from the way that the day went the last time so it's like you know instead of picking up from him waking up on pile of bags and and everything handcuffed we instead are immediately met with j squad and talking to farley about whatever that day right it was really interesting in the direction and i and i had to just call that out because i really appreciated it so Getting into it, though, this is our brief synopsis of the movie so that we can just jump right into telling you guys about what we liked, what we yeah. found interesting and all the relevant all, details. All the fun between. stuff we want to get to. Exactly. So Earth is overrun by an alien species humans dubbed as mimics. That's the entire premise of Edge of Tomorrow. These mimics are some really badass aliens with a little bit of a unique power the ability to well at least one of them has yes, the what? ability to Just control time the, the main one or not really the main one but like the main one of the smaller ones the alpha it, so and, and we'll get into that but we're introduced to major cage who is a cowardly pr officer who is forced into a suicide mission as a soldier and right off the rip after he's introduced to the battlefield he dies and wakes up and when he wakes up he's right at the beginning of that day again kind of you know oh shit i'm in a nightmare <laughs> and every loop that he resets in he retains his memories and is able to harness his abilities and skills and grow his confidence to actually become somebody who can do something about the situation he ends up meeting rita who we find out is also somebody who has experienced this time loop ability before based on similar circumstances. And together they work on figuring out how to uncover the mimic's secret, which is time loops. Yeah. The Omega, the Omega mimic is the one who apparently controls this hive mind of, of an alien species. And they, because she was able to recognize that he is experiencing the same thing she did before. The key element here is that she has to be reminded each day that he resets that he is in this 
time loop and she's not able to control the time like before when she was the angel of Verdan and this happened in Verdan. She has to also be brought up to speed every single day that he dies and resets. So they get this opportunity to train and plan and just do the process over and over until they get the opportunity to finally find approach the Omega and have a final epic battle where Cage sacrifices himself to destroy the Omega. But that leads into a whole potential for a future for this for this movie. Like there's the possibility of a sequel, which I don't know if anything's in the works at the moment, but this was a, a bit of a story about proving that a coward could become a hero. Right. And, and save the world. Several several points there. For one, I thought it was ingenious for Cruz to play a coward. Like all the movies I've ever seen him in, this was unique in that sense that he starts off as a coward who doesn't want to fight, who is trying to save his own skin, who then goes on to become a hero. Right. Could be wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. But as far as I know, he's generally always the let's go get him, save the day kind of guy. Right. And well, so here here's where I was a little lost on some of this in in the storytelling. While I really enjoyed how the movie unfolded and all of the different scenes that led up to the finale, I thought they were still really entertaining, really good. But there were definitely some points of the the film that I was like, they're not explaining enough here. We need we need more information. And that really came in initially with the major cage is a is a PR PR guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yes, what was it that made it so that he ended up having to be deployed to the front? We get that interaction with the general, the general basically says, I'm your commanding officer. Now I'm telling you that you have to go to the front. We're not going to give you any other explanation as to why other than morale boosting, but also, you know, this came across to me as more of a punishment. Like cage was being punished for something. And I don't feel that they ever really fully explained that. Do you? Oh, I agree with you on some of this and some others. I don't like, yes, I found it very odd that the general wants to send Cage and a group of people to the front to film this invasion to sell it. It was explained to me, at least in the sense that they're doing this because he knows after the invasion's over, there's going to be a lot of dead people and a lot of angry public. And he's trying to head that off at the pass by having Cage and his team there. That doesn't make sense to me. Why the fuck are people going to be pissed that we just staged a massive front to push back an invading alien force that is murdering the shit out of us? Uh, there, to me, murdering. there's a disconnect. Yeah. Well, and not to mention the fact that he makes it very clear that he had no expectation that Cage was going to survive. So it's like, where is the PR in this that you, you would expect Cage to come back? You would expect him to be able to tell the public like, hey, this was us at the front. This was how things were going. We're pushing them back. But instead, he knew going into it that it was a slaughter. And so he didn't expect that return. And therefore, the PR stunt was basically null and void at that point. Agreed. Like, for the story, we have to get Cage to the front line. I fully understand that. But 
doing this PR aspect didn't make sense to me. You know, we have to contrive a reason and we want Cage to be a coward. So how do we make that happen? The way the movie did it did not work for me. And what's even more interesting about that is that I did a little bit of research on this. That's right, everybody. We're finally getting our act together and doing some preliminary looking up of the things. (laughs) And I found out that the final script that was basically rewritten by Doug Lyman during the production was actually not the script that we can find online currently like if you go looking up the script for edge of tomorrow it's actually an earlier draft and in that earlier draft it's written completely different as far as how the introduction of the of the movie goes we're actually introduced to cage's family which is not something that we see at all during the the final cut of the film it's a very brief bit in the very beginning of the script. And then a little further into the script, it immediately has Cage at the front. There was no PR man aspect to it. It was just Cage is on the front and he's going to town. So they took away a little bit of that family aspect, which I guess can arguably be justified as this is why he and Rita are going to have a little bit of chemistry despite the fact that there's nothing that ever really happens with that during the movie, just other than there being this clear, like, I think you're great. You know, you seem like you're not the the full metal bitch like everybody thinks. You're actually a person, too. And yeah, so there was that bit of like, I guess, oh, well, they do kiss at the end briefly, you know, when she thinks she's about to die, <laughs> which Correct. I guess she does. But of course time shenanigans still but anyway the point being is that the script was actually done a bit differently and i think it would have actually been suitable for what we're talking about right now where the pr aspect of it just kind of left us being like what the only other part of the plot that i remember this story being brought up was when the commanding officer farley calls him a deserter and a somebody who was impersonating another officer And I don't know if that was based on some other information that the general had that just kind of like closed that that gap of of information. But it wasn't clear like it just it felt like it could have also been made up. And I to me, that's how I read it. I read it as the general making up lies to put Cage in this situation where he's going to fight on the front, especially after Cage attempts to blackmail him to get out of going to fight. I think you could have, I think two easy ways to have gone about it would have been either you stick to the original kind of story from, so if we back up a step, Edge of Tomorrow is based on a Japanese novel called All You Need Is Kill which is about a soldier serving in a war against aliens and also going through the time loops and all that. It's all, it's the same basic premise. And I think you either do one or two routes, which is one, you have cage be that soldier as he is in the original story. And it will play out the same way. We just change that a little bit makes more sense. Or two, you go the route of maybe this is the last final push. So You know, the world nations have essentially enlisted a conscription. Everyone of able body is serving. So it's not about sending Cage to the front to serve as 
PR to sell the invasion after the fact. It's because we are going to throw every single body we have at them to try and stop them. It's right. either we stop them here and now, or we're all going to die regardless. So everyone goes. And you can right. still have, you know, some of that blackmail and all that, but doesn't matter. Everyone's going to serve tough shit cage, get your shit together. And then you could still have the coward aspect, which I like the coward aspect. It it's a unique look for Cruz to be playing. And I thought tied into the story, watching his development from coward to hero. Yeah, exactly. The director, I think, even calls out at one point during some trivia behind the scenes, whatever it was, that this was exciting for him because it was an opportunity to put Tom Cruise in a role where he just wasn't already a badass at whatever it was that he was doing. He actually had to take a different approach because he starts out as being a wuss and not being willing to go to the front to to fight. And, and so he had to build up that character and courage and get to the point of where he is the badass you see in a lot of his movies. And I thought that was a really nice touch just to kind of see Tom Cruise take on a role where he wasn't just immediately awesome. Agreed. It was fun. It was new, interesting, and he played it very well, I thought. I, I agree. I agree. And so did Emily. Emily Blunt's character was awesome for for being like this battle-hardened badass of a soldier that she's out there in the field seemingly often because she's been fighting since well before this battle on the beach. And yeah, it was a really good chemistry between the two of them as far as just like their characters being in in roles that were almost opposite of what they would typically be doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So and I also thought that the combination of the action and humor within the movie was was really solid because this is a war film, a sci-fi war, and it's not all about sunshine and rainbows, right? It actually had some pretty intense and, and serious battles, but they also managed to fit in some some unique and fun humor with it. One of the ones that really stood out to me was when he finally is on the right track of getting a plan together for this time dilation that he's stuck in. He's looping back to the beginning of each day. He finally meets Rita and Rita tells him, come find me. So he tries to sneak away from the squad. And in the first early attempt at him sneaking away from the squad, he does this quick roll on the ground to try and move himself underneath a truck that's coming by. And you just hear the squish and, and Farley and the reaction yeah yeah Farley's just standing back there like what in the hell were you thinking and I was just like wow that's that's dark <laughs> it was hilarious and there's moments like that throughout I mean during the training segments when he is smashing a swan breaks his back and can't move and Rita's just like well gotta put you out of your misery can't have you die or you know surviving puts one in his head repeatedly that is a common motif throughout the movie oh just he gets shot in the head so many times and and the vast majority of them came from rita which i was just it was it got it got progressively funnier it honestly did and 
then there was also some of the montages of the earlier squad like i know it's sad but the the dude that i can't remember his name at the moment but he was the one that went basically in his underwear in the exoskeleton and he's down on the ground after the after the ship drop the drop ship gets exploded and he's like we made it squad we made it and then the drop ship just drops on him <laughs> it was like Flat. it's like okay so here's the seriousness of this of this battle in this war but also what a way to go just getting squashed the yeah that was uh that was tough but uh the character development too was was really well done as far as just seeing cage transition into being a battle-hardened soldier after a while he stops acting like a coward because he knows he's just stuck but and can you imagine the survivor's guilt one would feel even though every day you start over and everybody's alive you know that they're eventually going to die and you're just like great and how, even do, I, how do i handle this we get to see some of that in the movie there is about the midpoint where kind of all the all hope is lost moment he gives up for a loop and leaves the city which by the way as another True. like cruise contract requirement i almost feel like he it gets on a motorcycle and goes for a ride i wonder yeah. how many of his movies involve motorcycles now that i'm complaining i love riding myself so sure yeah, yeah. no i'm Called that out, too. I was like, man, there, he, there he's got his motorcycle again. Correct. Which was a beautiful triumph. And of course, because he's in, you know, England. of course, you noticed that. Of course, I did. Yep. I love triumphs. He gets on his triumph, heads into London to a pub to have a drink. And, you know, this is after watching Rita die over and over and over again. And just he is racked with guilt and, you know, has kind of given up when the city is attacked and you know everyone dies and he dies on that bridge and then he starts his day over realizing he's got to do something or it's just going to stay this way correct he has to finish it otherwise you know it's just going to keep happening again and again and everyone will lose yep and i have to admit that i didn't fully put that together the first go on the fact that he you could definitely look at that as him kind of giving up like he snuck away to have a beer and to just not have to deal with it that day but in the end yeah he's he has to go back and he keeps going so overall i think that from action to humor to character development there was there was a lot of really great things about this movie but there were definitely some plot holes and these plot holes kind of lead to my take on how it could have been done differently if I were to have done it differently. These are the things that I feel like were were things that I'd want to close the loop on and really make sure that my audience understood a bit better what was happening. So the first point I'll bring up is that we never really explicitly get any explanation and, and feel free to contradict me if you feel like there was some explanation that maybe I missed, but Cage gains control so to speak, over the loop. And we know that the Alpha's blood, when he died that first time, the blood fell, you know, fell on his face. I guess some aspect of this alien species, they're boiling blood because it, it treated it like acid. It was burning through his skin. And I'm assuming at that point, his blood and the Alpha's blood were mixed together. And because the Alpha's blood is connected to the Omega, that's what 
allowed him the ability to reset, so to speak. But I don't know if he has control over manipulating the power. My theory is that he is that the alpha's blood, when combined with cages, made cage an alpha, so to speak. And as far as the Omega is concerned, he when he dies, it's as if an alpha dies. And maybe this is like some sort of built in contingency. But it's like if an alpha dies, then it resets period so the omega just alpha died omega resets and the day starts over and cage is treated as such as a built into this power by proxy of being part of the hive right but it's still the right. omega's power it's near as i can tell it's kind of a combination of both like it is the connection between the two that creates it but yes, when the alpha dies is what sends the signal to the omega to turn time back. But it does seem to be like a uncontrolled thing. Like the omega can't just turn back time whenever it wants to. It has it requires the alpha to die to send the signal to go back in time. Yeah, and then it makes you wonder like what exactly is the omega got in itself that allows it to control time on such a limited premise because that's where I feel like the plot further breaks down as manipulating time is in my opinion a very incredible power and would easily suggest a high level of understanding of what could be done with this power so with the omega having a hard time isolating cage over the many days that he is repeating it's is a little lost on me. You know, I would kind of expect the Omega to help be able to identify the anomaly in its hive network easily enough and then kind of play into trapping him a little bit better. And they do, in a way, briefly mention this as Rita kind of explains to Cage at one point during the movie that he's going to start seeing visions of the Omega. And it's obviously a honeypot, a ruse that it's like trying to give him a false location. But that would also suggest that the Omega does eventually find Cage as the anomaly. However, the efforts to trick him just feel weak to me for such a powerful being. Like, yes, he falls for the trap of getting to the dam and not finding the Omega, but it only sends a couple of foot soldier mimics and a single alpha that we saw. And so if it's like if the Omega fully grasps that Cage is the reason for the time loop, I don't understand why it was such a small group that they sent to eliminate him because it didn't work in the end anyway right well so there's definitely some plot holes there there's things that are probably just not explained well like yes i don't understand why they have to get caged to this dam to try and trap them they could have done it any point sooner they obviously i don't know if they know where cage is but they obviously know where they're trying to bring cage and the idea is that they have to bleed i think what it is is no, I'm not even sure. I'm just going to make this shit up as I go. So sure. to me, it looked like they were trying to get Cage to bleed onto the Alpha to give it its power back. Almost like the power was transferred from the Alpha to Cage, which meant the Alpha no longer had it. Cage was now in possession of it. Now, I don't understand why giving Cage new blood gets rid of the power. You know, it, yeah, it other than ble- to say it filters I, it out, I guess. I don't know. That's that's one of those plot holes that, yeah, it doesn't make sense why you can bleed out and die and you keep the power. But if you replace your blood, you lose the power. But you can't give your blood to like Rita. Cage can't give his blood to Rita to give her the power. 
because apparently yet, she tried it and it doesn't work. Correct. She has like it was alluded to that when she had the power during Verdun, she attempted to share the power, give the power to somebody else, and it did not work out. Yeah. And which, you know what? Also, here's another little plot hole because she talks about being autopsied and dissected and all sorts of stuff, which you would think they probably would have been doing what they could to keep her alive, which probably would have involved blood transfusions during the procedure. So why didn't she lose her power then? True. And that just goes to suggest that she did everything she could to make sure that she killed herself as quickly as possible before she lost the blood. There was just, yeah, there's some gaps there that were a little tough. And then on top of that, like the transmission of the the blood from an alpha to a human, giving them this ability. That was another bit that I struggled with just a touch because it's like, that's not the only alpha. There are other alphas and it's maybe it's a lottery concept for the sake of the writing. It's a hard reach in my opinion, but the idea that statistically Cage was the only one to have this happen to him and that none of the other alphas could have possibly been killed in a similar manner where they bled onto another human. And then, I mean, it would, I guess, only in this instance would it suggest the possibility of multiple time branches and yet how do you bring them all back together right it's kind of like tva stuff you how how do the branches re re-solidify into one prime timeline if cage is the only one affected by this it just it seems a little far-fetched but still i don't mean to bring up all these plot holes as a as a means of like tearing this story down in a way where it's like oh it doesn't make sense i really just look at it as a this is the things that i'm looking to try and close the gap on so that there is a little bit more of a nice foundation for this story i'd agree but that's what we're here for we want to pull apart see how we do it differently so i i almost read it so to speak as there's probably only one alpha per omega I mean, Mm. so he talks about it being a, what, one in 6.18 million chance that there'll be an alpha among the mimics. That's a huge fucking number, which if you dig into that a little bit is actually related to what's called the golden ratio. Okay, you know, it's the ratio between two numbers that equals exactly one point six one eight. You know, it's part of the Fibonacci sequence and, you know appears naturally in nature it's kind of interesting if you ever look into it so that's part of where that came from and is a fancier way of saying there's probably only one alpha per omega yeah okay and and that actually that that works for me i can i can get behind that as long as it's explained well enough and i guess they did go ahead and was that the the scientist guy that we're introduced to with rita that's correct that uh, dr carter dr carter explained that okay got it Okay, so yeah, that that I might have just missed then as far as understanding that there was only one alpha per omega or at least somewhat in that sense and that Cage just happened to be the one to kill him, which again boils down to the lottery as far as that goes. But the last plot hole that I was left feeling like there's still a lot unanswered here is he he goes up against the omega, right? And once he defeats the Omega, you know, he swims down under the Louvre and drops the grenades and blows it up. And where we see him floating in the water after the fact with the blood of the Omega 
kind of coming up and around him and then eventually seeping into him in the same way that it did before giving him clearly giving him the abilities back and he wakes back up on the helicopter even earlier in the movie basically at the start of the movie almost which obviously alters the overall timeline the general is no longer forcing him to the front he retains his rank as major he's still part of the u.s military he visits the barracks we get to see rita we cut to credits the thing that holds me up here is the ambiguousness around the control of this time power. Does Cage now have the ability to reset time whenever? Is he locked into this particular reset point that he is now that, that, that is now where he appeared? Does that mean that the does this does his ability to reset mean that the hive is not completely dead and that the species still exists somewhere in the universe? I mean, obviously, I would imagine that an alien force wouldn't just send all of their eggs in one basket to earth to try and take out one planet and then not have left behind some of their own to to keep their species alive whatever right but that is something that i'm like well okay does this is this power contingent upon this species being in existence or is this universal power that just happened to make it to earth through these creatures and now cage has this ridiculous power i can understand that and for the sake of the movie universe we will just accept that these creatures have this power i mean there's sure. no way to explain that in a fulfilling way so we just right. accept that i do think or what the movie does is say that they came or established that a meteor crashed into earth and that's kind of where they came from which to me implies that there would be others out there. I mean, if they're just hurling through the universe on meteors, finding planets, waiting to take them over. Invasive which is species. Kind of. And here's where I think the source material was a little bit better, because it establishes that the aliens were actually there for about 20 years before we are at the current point in the story, and they were terraforming Earth. And at first it was like, Oh, well, they're not hurting anything. They're just doing this thing. We're not sure what's going on. And once they discovered what they were doing and how it was going to start killing humans, that's when we went to war against them. Okay. And this was explained in the actual All There Is Is Kill book. All You Need Is Kill, yes. All You Need Is Kill, my bad. Yes. And, and okay. the source material, All You Need Is Kill, they go into that a bit more. How, yeah, they arrived on a meteor or I don't remember if they say meteor, but they arrived on Earth, they started terraforming it, and once they realized what the terraform was doing, that's when we went to war against them, and, you know, they started murdering the shit out of us. Okay, that makes Until sense. Until then, yeah. they kind of left us alone and were relatively, you know, peaceful, so to speak. And it would also probably have helped to have a little bit of background with the original material. I have not read it myself, so I... I went into this blind basically based on the movie and hey, you I and me both. from a novel perspective, you know, a lot more gets explained, right? This correct. Well, was two hours. Well, we're, correct. It was two hours. It was a great two hours. And, you know, we should be taking this on. We're doing this with perspective. We're just focusing on the movie. I'm just bringing on that. I think the source material did some things better and they could have, they probably should have brought some of that in. Sure. Which is one of those things where we would have done it differently. Yeah, absolutely. There were there were definitely aspects of this movie that I felt could have been handled differently better. Something that I would have done was 
it always a lot of the times comes down to the plot filling for me i prefer to understand better what is the cause and effect throughout a story and if there's a lot of loose ends that don't really spell out what happens in a relatively clear way like don't get me wrong there's places for vagueness within mystery stories and things like that where you don't want to give the audience the reader too much information otherwise it spoils spoils the plot spoils the story for you and so there was mostly plot filling aspects for me that i feel could have been done a little better and given us that understanding without necessarily spoiling i.e the actor that they chose for the general help me out yes brendan gleason brendan gleason son of uh or no sorry grandfather i believe of dom hall gleason oh okay yeah he was great and he is an incredible actor he's been in a number of things that i really enjoy him in and i feel like they did not use him to his fullest. I, I realize he was a tertiary character, but like they could have given him a much better set of lines to help kind of explain things a little more thoroughly. You know, when when we end up with Cage in his office and there's the explanation of the PR stuff and everything, and then the demanding him go to the front it was just very vague about what was going on to the point of where i would have definitely gone in and said like okay here is the reason because it works to give us the audience something that is justifiable in a way that could also be redeemable so giving cage some sort of a you're going to the front for this reason because of this happening and you're kind of a bad person for it, but let's see if you can turn yourself around before the end of the film, right? So what that would be, maybe he was an actual deserter. Maybe he was somebody who knocked out the original PR guy and took his place because maybe they looked similar enough that nobody noticed. I don't know. That seems far-fetched too, but... That, that is very far-fetched, especially when you remember the intro is a bunch of like news clips and other stuff, and he is on one of them on like national television so that would be a little challenging true but like maybe he does something from the pr spectrum that is maybe he does something from the pr end of it that is more of a you said the wrong thing on this broadcast and now people are mad at you and they want to see you actually out on the front proving your salt right maybe he is maybe he says something that makes it sound like it it's easy peasy right and then we get a, well, now you've bought yourself a ticket to the front because you were kind of a douchebag. I just feel like there needs to be justification as to why he ended up out there. And that's that's certainly one aspect of it that I would I would change is like I would give it more of a foundation of we're sending him there because he was a dick at one point and And now we got to bring him back to being the good guy. I agree with that. I mean, I think like for me, one of the major changes and I think I have about three of them is for the for setting up the story. It would be that, yes, I would go with the route that he still PR guy, still on television. He lands in this helicopter. I would include Rita in that scene because I want it to tie into something the ending later. But he would report to the general 
we'd have to come up with the reason why he's there to begin with, but it would then play out that everyone's being constricted. Everyone is going to the front for this invasion because we're going to throw everything we've got at it. And we could establish a little bit that, yeah, maybe he does. He does the blackmail. He tries to flee and desert. And that's what causes him to get sent to Farrell and wake up there and go down that route. It, Absolutely. You know, it yeah. makes sense. It does. And and I'd say the blackmail aspect of it, too, is like if they had left it alone with him being demanded to go to the front, if it had been some sort of a different order that the general was giving that forced him to feel that need to blackmail him to have that shift, I would say that would be a more well-rounded explanation because it'd be like, you know, maybe the general was like, I need you to... I don't know. I need you to generate like do some sort of filming at the front. And that was the original just like you're not going to be a soldier. We just want you to be nearby so that some footage can be captured. You can help sell the invasion. But then Cage is like, oh, man, that feels too soldiery for me. Like I shouldn't be the one there. That's that's going to get me killed. And the general's like, well, I'm ordering you to do this because we need this for the selling of the we need all bodies for this invasion. And then Cage is like, I'm just I'm just telling, you, no, here's my blackmail. And then they can at that point shift it to, okay, well, you were just going to go there to record and get some footage for for this PR release and now because you did what you did we're just going to send you to the front like now the general's saying okay you're stripped of your rank you're going to be a soldier instead good luck i think it works i think anything that works better than kind of what was given to us yeah i i like the idea of everyone serves you're going to the front put up or shut up and deserting and then being bumped down to private so he has to just fight himself rather than being given a platoon that he would you know air quotes command right let's see what else would you what else to change for me it would be a little bit more with the general character like i i like him i also need to retract a previous statement he is the father of dumb hog gleason not the grandfather he's not that old all right fair enough yeah yeah just want to make sure i get a a correction out there but the seems to hold the vendetta for no reason i mean like what he does with Cruz and force him to the front for blackmailing. I get it. It, it forces the character into a position where it puts him where he needs to be to get the power and start the whole story. But, you know, towards, you know, act three, they are, there's two scenes where they're talking, or actually I think it's one scene, but they're talking to the general to try and convince them to give them the, the MacGuffin that is hidden in the safe that will allow them to find where the Omega actually is. And it's played out in the scene for the second time in the movie where it's not the first time the character's been here. They've done it again and again and again, and they can never convince the general to work with them. But this time it works. You know, great. They take it, leave out the front door only to have a bunch of soldiers show up to arrest him yep. for then Rita to put a bullet in Cage's head and start the loop over again. I don't understand why the general would be willing to work with them and give him the device if he's just going to arrest him like that. That doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me either. It was a very off-putting moment in the story where I get, like you said, it, it was obvious that there was a lot of repetition there and 
Cage flat out tells the general, like, we've had this conversation numerous times before, and you have never once so far just accepted it and given us what we needed. This time he does in a shift of the timeline, so to speak, to let them out the door, but then to just turn around and be like, you know what? I heard you out this time. I'm willing to give you the device you need. Oh, just kidding. I'm going to arrest you guys again. It just, although was that the the second time around when they got it, that time they decided not to go out the main door because they knew they were going to get trounced on again. And so they went to the garage and drove away, which is what caused the catalyst of what happened next where cage loses the power after getting a blood transfusion because he lost a lot of blood and so that kind of ties that up just a touch but i still agree with you that it was just like for what purpose and and why was there the need to lose the loop ability for this to complete its cycle and that's where build suspense that's where i would make a change i would have the scene play out where the general takes a chance, decides to work with them, gives them the device. I would have Cruz or Cage use the device in that room. It's, sure. it, I mean, if you play it out, I mean, if you're going to do it where the general's going to arrest them regardless, maybe you can do that once. Then the next time they decide to just do it in that room, Rita has a gun, holds it on the general so that way Cage can use the device, do his thing. And then. Either, you know, to be interesting and to kind of tie in again to how I think I would do the third act, I would have Rita put a bullet in Cage's head after he comes out. He knows where the Omega is. They can get started in the next loop and they don't they can stop this one. So they have as much time as possible. It's also you know, readily apparent that Cage is bleeding profusely, which is why he ends up needing the blood transfusion in the original story. Yeah. You know, and I I understand why you wouldn't do it, but the way I think I'd have that the third act play out, I think you could still play with it and make it interesting. They take his power away because they want to establish the tension that this is their last try. If they don't succeed, they're fucked. True. You know, and I get that, but I think you could still make it real add a lot of tension, do something really interesting. We'll get to that when we get to act three. But that's how I would change this scene and make it to me just more it just it how am i trying to say it it just stands out as really fucking weird that the general will give him the device and then arrest him like what's the fucking point yeah i mean if you're gonna believe them and take a chance why are you fucking arresting them i fully agree with you there and actually i think your concept is is brilliant i i love the idea that instead he uses it right there in front of the general gets the information he needs rita shoots him in the head he has that information committed to memory at that point so they could just pursue that from there instead this ends up happening while they're trying to drive away and the result is essentially the same except they're forced into this position of Cage gets a blood transfusion because he's lost a lot of blood and then he loses the power. The tension builds up from there. They've got one shot to win. Now, the one other part of that that I find just a little odd is that based on the actual flow of the source movie material, the results suggest that they weren't carefully planning up to that point. And at that point, they had been planning 
pretty damn well around everything that they were trying to do. There was obviously just situations that they couldn't predict as new elements to what they hadn't already experienced, but they've been carefully planning. So for them to not just do it the way you kind of described just now, I feel like that makes more sense. I feel like your idea around that would make for a much more interesting plot that could still eventually lead to a point where there's something that takes Cage's power away temporarily to force that final battle with that extra level of tension, right? Oh, yeah. I already have that idea laid out. And I think you could even include a one-off line on the next loop where they just establish that they've got one chance at this before while they may get to do loops again once they attempt this once omega will know they're coming and we'll just have that many more mimics prepared and ready for them making it that much harder to get to them sure yeah definitely and i wouldn't so leaning into act three i wouldn't change where they found the omega i do love that it actually happened to be under the louvre it is pretty sweet it's just such an odd location for it to to decide to take refuge and exist it, it does the i don't remember that you could see it directly from the see-through of the pyramid right that no we, we it, navigate around some stuff before we see it correct it's like in a deep broken hole in the parking garage submerged in water right and so that the only I feel like it would have been fun for that to be kind of like its eye to the world, being able to see out through the the pyramid structure. But it would have been entertaining. It's yeah, that's a that's a silly nuanced bit. Yeah, um, neat visual. I do think that they leaned into the trope of everybody but the two main characters have to die before the end, even though things get reset and everybody's back in the in the ending ending. I don't always agree that it's necessary to just wipe out the whole platoon. And for the individual that was on the ship with them, that that was shooting the mimics as they were coming, I can't remember. It was the guy that about was... Ford? Yeah, Ford. He was the one who was uh, actually impersonating somebody else in the right. end, we learned. <laughs> and it was it was him on the ship getting you know ripped off and then cage had to take over the gunning i would have changed that personally i don't think it was necessary for for them to to wipe him out like maybe he stayed behind once they got to their destination maybe something something a little different there but i just don't know that it was necessary to wipe out the whole platoon on the way there i feel like some of them could have been helpful in at least like getting them to the finishing line beyond just getting into the building itself like it was all just that lead up to the building and i think that it would have been more interesting to have both cage and rita have the opportunity to try and take down the omega together in that way ford could have been the distraction that they needed for the other mimics the alpha chasing rita down in the end i i probably would have given that that hero is heroic act to ford i would have kept him around for a bit longer before the reset just giving you that feeling of like okay i know that everybody after the reset is back but at least there was more to the rest of the platoon than just the two of them i can see that i mean 
you want to make it so I guess Rita and Cage are the only ones in the Louvre itself and fighting against the Omega. They could have kept forward and he would have been pinned on the final crash and just couldn't have come to them. It is hard to have anybody survive with how deadly and vicious these mimics are. I mean, they're discriminately killing. So you have to make it in such a way that they're going to ignore forward and continue after the two main ones, leaving him alive, which we can make it work. I think, you know, that final crash of the helicopter, whatever it is, I mean, it's a pretty sweet looking drop ship. Yeah, I like that drop ship. You know, it could have come down, crashed. Reading Cage are able to exit before it is pinned underneath some debris, hurt, not dead, but unable to continue on and help. And they don't have the time to assist him and get him out, so they have to leave him behind. Providing that last last detail of distraction. I mean, in the end, I guess he still dies, even in my concept here. But uh, I just that's something that I, I always wish I could navigate around where more characters could kind of play a bigger part in in a finale without necessarily having to die as a result. But that's still sci-fi. Sci-fi still approaches these things the same way as like horror stories do, where typically only one person makes it out in the end. And that's just the way it goes. That's kind of the the format. It can. But that's why we do it differently. Exactly. But who knows? Maybe it doesn't have the same emotional impact if everybody survives or more people survive. Right. And then I would just like to see a few more time shenanigans in the in the finale as far as we kind of get this glean that Cage has the ability to control the time again because of absorbing the Omega's blood. But we really don't like know what to what extent. And I'd like to, you know, at least give some sort of nod to what could be in the sequel in terms of he has this power now and what are what are we doing with it right we don't really know where this could lead and i i guess that's like an open-ended sequel opportunity because they're like well we did give it a well-rounded correct it gives them that opportunity in the sequel to establish what they can and can't do but what i would want to do for the end of act three is Because with the way I changed the general scene, this now creates where Cage continues to have the time ability. So we still don't have the full tension of, you know, if they die here, they can just try again and again. I would do it with Cage getting hurt and even captured by the Alpha and bleeding onto it. You know, I would, I think I would establish it that. The only way to transfer power, like bleeding out and getting new blood wouldn't get rid of the power. You Like bleeding onto somebody else is what transfers the power. And maybe this establishes that you can only go to the alpha and then somebody else. You can't go from like cage to Rita. You have to go like cage to the alpha to Rita, so to speak. So we see cage bleed on the alpha, lose the power only for Rita or at least... We think he loses the power for then Rita to dive into the water and be the one to kill the Omega. And she gets swallowed by the blood. You know, afterwards, yeah. we wake up with Cage on the helicopter back in time. Because for what the movie is establishing here is that you kind of you go or it's not fully developed, but like you can go back 24 hours from the, a moment you die, so to speak. Yeah. So that's why Cage wakes up on the helicopter 
when he dies here after getting the power back. Right. But, you know, he wakes up on the helicopter, he lands, you know, we can leave it maybe a little bit up to chance or implication whether or not the Omega is now dead, but both Cage and because Rita said it, Rita was near the helicopter earlier, they now kind of lock eyes and have a knowing smile, maybe implying that they both now have the power of becoming the new Alpha and Omega. Yeah, that would be really interesting. And then we can go anywhere with the sequel. Right. The one thought that kind of came to mind as far as the reasoning that they did it in the order that they did in the movie itself was that Cage remembers everything that's happened. Each reset, he continues to retain those memories, whereas Rita doesn't. Correct. But I guess you could argue that the time power that's being transferred from Omega to whichever human may also give them the the ability to retain those memories. Of course, yeah, actually, no, that makes perfect sense to me as far as they would once having the power again, they would retain the memories that they had from the existing day. You know, Rita may not have as far back of a memory as Cage does in terms of all of the days that he re-experienced, but then she at least can still remember what happened on that final battle enough to know that Cage and her both know that they have this ability and and then kind of take it from there. So yeah, actually that no, that makes great sense to me. Yeah. It establishes the new Cage as the honorable, like war hero that he's become after being through everything but also gives Rita the ability and the knowledge that yeah they went at it this last time and maybe they're successful maybe they're not and you know but now they both have the power and they're both able to kind of work together to defeat the Omega if it's still around or you know the Omega still dies and the world is saved but they both have the power going into whatever the sequel is going to be about and it could simply be a Independence Day style sequel concept of they defeated the aliens on the first go around and but it wasn't all of them. Kind of like I was saying earlier, I can't imagine that the mimics sent everybody to this one location. They probably are spread out throughout the galaxy, throughout the universe. And the same idea kind of stands with Independence Day, where the second go around, it was a much, much bigger more dangerous threat than before that they had to overcome again and that's easily what could play into a sequel like this is that you know we've got a couple of humans who have extra powers that can help sway the the result of of the future version of this war but they come back as an even bigger threat than they already were considering they were mowing down literally everything in their path. Everything. The only I'd say we could probably save this part for for another time because I know that we could talk about this for hours on end, but as far as time shenanigans go, that's one other thing that I wanted to I wanted to ask you one time shenanigan question to see how you might handle it in terms of your storytelling. He relived Jacked. 26 days according to what people calculated from the movie. So when you break it down, he dies 26 times on screen. Okay. But there are two scenes that establish that there are probably far more number of times. There's a farmhouse where he talks about how they get there over and over and over again. And that is the farthest they ever get implying that 
whatever we've seen is just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And then that happens again with the general. And the same thing can be said for Rita, who apparently experienced a loop 300 times before she lost her ability to to loop. Do you age them or do they not age because the day is actually resetting? Like, are they affected by time lapsing because they can remember everything? Or does time just reset, but they get to retain their memories through time magic? So. I would establish it as as it is in the movie where I'm assuming it is in the movie. I wouldn't do it where they would age. It is more of a consciousness connection between themselves and their past selves. So it's not like they physically are going back in time. Otherwise, they'd have wounds and all sorts of stuff. It is their consciousness going back to a previous self and starting over. Oh, man, he would have so many bullet scars on his dome from every time he got shot if that were the case exactly he would not be a pretty man anymore and and i'd agree with that i could also see figuring out a way to write it into the idea that their memories are retained through the hive mind perspective and that each time they reset they get to keep their memories because the hive mind essentially sends that information back to them thinking that they're an alpha and not, you know, maybe it's controlled system that there's just no working around it because they hadn't had to deal with an experience like this before. So it's just built in that your memories get automatically downloaded back to you. I don't know. That would be kind of a, an approach I would take to, to answering that a little bit and then not having them age because the reset keeps them from aging. That, that part would make sense to me as well, just to say that if time goes backwards, so does your age. Although that would also play into an interesting concept of just time travel in general, where if you go back in time, are you really going to de-age as you go back in time? But that's a whole nother bag of worms, can of worms, bag of shenanigans. I won't get into that now, but (laughs) that's why time is such a goofy thing. Time is fun to play with, but I think that's also why it's not time travel in this. He is not physically going back in time. To me, it, it, it's more, I wouldn't say logical, but more feasible that it's more of a connected time conscious. And yeah. that's how he's able to go back, keep his memories, and try again. Nice. I dig it, dude. This was really well thought out. And I had a lot of fun watching this movie. This Edge of Tomorrow was a movie that I kind of wrote off when it came out because... I don't know, maybe Tom Cruise had a lot of movies coming out at the time. I also had a period of in the last decade where I didn't see nearly as many movies as I often did in before that. But I just never got around to that one. And so I admit that I had only recently watched this. It was my first time and I really enjoyed it. It was a great, great action flick. It was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. And I loved it. I've seen it twice now. I saw it in theaters when it first came out, and it was a blast, and I enjoyed watching it again. And yes, I could see how it could probably be a oversaturation of Cruise, because at the time, he had essentially had a movie a year from like 2010 up through, well, shit, like almost 2020. Really? 2018. Yes. So in 2000, he had two movies in 2008. Only one of which he was a 
hot build cast member, but he had Tropic Thunder and Valkyrie in 2008. Then 2010, Night and Day, 2011, Mission Possible, 2012, he had Jack Reacher, in which he was a main character, and then Rock of Ages, which is not a movie I recognize. And then 2013 was Oblivion, which we could do an episode on that. I have some notes. Okay, for sure. I I remember liking Oblivion, but I do remember it also being like, this has some issues. Bullshit ending. This is really what bothers me. And then 2014, Edge of Tomorrow, Mission Impossible in 15, Jack Reacher in 16, The Mummy in 17, American Made in 17, and then Mission Impossible in 18. Yeah, he just hasn't stopped. He is prolific. I mean, he's three movies since then. I'm not sure what Avoir Chris Hemsworth is. It looks like it was a short. Yeah, but then you have Top Gun and another Mission Impossible. Okay, so I guess, like, in fairness of not just blasting him for having a movie release every year, he did have a couple-year hiatus there because I, if you if you don't count the short, he went from 2018 to 2022 before we got Top Gun Maverick. And now we're also getting Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning along with... He is definitely... there. There is a rumored in development for Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, which is apparently yes. what the sequel is going to be. They've but, been on board for a while. I want to say a script has been written, but I don't remember for a fact. But don't and you also have to remember the the break from 2018 to 2022 is probably also COVID related. Top oh, Gun sure. Maverick was supposed to come out a year, a year or two previously, but was held off because he demanded a theater release for it. Right. right. So but we'll see as far as the sequel goes. Doug was not a listed writer for the movie. He is still going to be the director of the sequel. Well, he did a lot of heavy writing on this one. But if I remember correctly, whoever wrote the original movie wrote it as a spec script and sold it for like a million or three million. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'd be curious to see where the sequel is going to go because the one of the primary writers on it was actually the writer behind movies like Dora and the Lost City of Gold, Love and Monsters, movies that I don't know were super well received. At least I had no interest or reason to watch Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I heard Love I've and heard Monsters. Heard it's a good movie. Decent, really? I've heard that. I don't. No, for a fact, I have not watched it myself. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, overall, just again, really enjoyed the movie. Thought it was a good time. And I I want to explore some other ones that are similar to this. But next time on We're Too Literary, we're thinking we're going to get into uh, some disaster films. I won't say which ones, just to keep the You're not even going to narrow down the decade. Because, I mean, there is a lot of disaster movies out there. In that decade specifically, too. So, yeah, we, we can tell them it's from the 90s. But good luck figuring out what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that about sums it up for me. I, I think, think that those covers. Yeah, I think that covers everything I was looking to share. And, you know, and the focus of what my rewrites would have been. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with uh, a lot of what you put down and. The ideas that I threw out there, I feel like they could be 
definitely worked around in the script to make it just a little bit more interesting in terms of plot development and conclusion. That was a really fun time, and I look forward to the I look forward to the next one. Agreed. As do I, buddy. Hey. As always, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of We're Too Literary. My name is Kenny. And I'm Jonathan. And we hope you all have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Bye now. And that's a wrap on another episode of We're Too Literary. We hope you enjoyed our takes, maybe learned something new, had a good laugh, or simply enjoyed the conversation. Definitely. And if you're looking for more content like this, we encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. To us. Subscribe to us. Please. Whether you're a longtime listener or just discovered us today, your support means the world. We also love hearing your feedback. So please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can send us an email at feedback at we're2literary.com. It helps us know what you enjoyed, and you can also let us know if there's anything you'd like us to watch and analyze, but it also lets others find our show. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, stay literary. We're 2 Literary is brought to you by Save Point Productions.